Have you ever noticed how sin has all kinds of promises of happiness and joy and fulfillment, and it never works out the way that we think it will? We're going to talk about that as it relates to Jacob's story and our story today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. However you are listening to us and wherever you're listening, I pray that God blesses you today. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series called 12 Stones, Stories That Shape Our Faith. And we're talking about how God has wired us for story and gives us uh, stories to help us make meaning, to help us to understand uh, where is our place in all of this that God has done from the history of the world until now, and what is our place in his story. And uh, today we're looking at the story of Jacob. But before we do, uh, just a reminder, if you're listening in real time, we're about to kick off our Vacation Bible School week around here. And uh, man, we are really excited for that. We're going to have over 100 kids um, growing in their faith, learning more about Jesus. We're so thankful uh, for all the adult leaders and teenage leaders who are going to be helping out. Make sure that you say a prayer for them this week as they prepare to really have this time to share Jesus with a bunch of kids from our community. And it's a real opportunity that we don't always get. And so uh, we pray God's blessings and all of that. And they are putting together the set and setting everything up this week. And so there's a lot of buzz around the building. And we just pray that it all serves uh, for God's glory. Well, uh, as we get ready again to uh, jump into this series, also want to remind you that we're in the middle of a Facebook Bible study And we do these from time to time where I'll record uh, some videos, some daily devotional videos, and we'll do them for a series of days. And even if you don't come to Tower Hill, you're welcome to join in that. And again, if you're listening in real time, we're only a couple of days in, so you haven't missed that much. And you could even watch the first couple of videos on your own time. But the way that you get there is go to Facebook and find Tower Hill Bible Studies. You could do a search for that group. And simply ask to join, and then uh, we'll get your information, and then we'll get you in there, and you can start watching the videos and join us. It's awesome, because we have like, um, gosh, I think we're over 250 people now who are doing this with us, and would love if you'd consider joining us. All right, well, let's get right into it. Here is Jacob's story on 12 Stones. Have a great week, everyone. We're in our summer series, 12 Stones, Stories That Shape Our Faith. And uh, what we're doing this summer is we're looking at stories of Scripture and seeing how those have an application for our life. Because when we come to know Jesus, when we come to faith, we adopt all of, the, all of these stories as our own. And we understand stories. In fact, we're wired for it. God designed us to respond to story, to help us to make meaning of our lives. So how do these stories make meaning for our story? That's what we're talking about this summer. And uh, excited to share with you today's story as well. But before we get to that, some really important matters here about something Kylie Jenner said. (laughs) Anybody know who Kylie Jenner is? Yeah, I know you're all like, yes, I do. Pray for me. We had confession earlier. We should have had it after. Kylie Jenner. She uh, said on her Twitter account, February 23rd, this is what she said, and I quote, so does anyone else not open Snapchat anymore or is it just me, dot, 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 
Ugh, this is so sad. Kylie Jenner, February 23rd. Snapchat, for those who don't know, that's another social media platform popular with the kids. The next day, Snapchat loses $1.3 billion with a B because of what Kylie Jenner said in her Twitter account. $1.3 billion because of what she said. And, And it's incredible. It's incredible that somebody has that big of a social media presence, such a big platform that fortunes rise and fall by the things that they say. Now, of course, for those who don't know, And if, by the way, if you're in this category, if you don't know who Kylie Jenner is, you're all going to live much longer. (laughs) Clearly, you are the dominant species. All right. So anyway, she's famous because she is one of the Kardashian sisters. And there's this little reality show that maybe you've heard of. And uh, they get up to 2 million viewers for each episode. I mean, people can't get enough of the reality show starring the Kardashians. Now, I got to thinking, what is it about watching that that makes people just dive right in? Like they want to know what they think. I mean, the Kardashians are famous for being famous. Like that's, that's kind of what they do. Like what is the appeal? But then there, there's a larger question here because it's not just the Kardashians, it's all reality television. It's like there wasn't any reality television, and then everybody. It's like 170 kids and counting. Like, I don't, I, I don't even know what that's about. Like, why do you have that many kids? But then, <laughs> but there's all these reality shows out there. And it's funny, like, when you, when you flip through, you're just like, you can't even believe what you're seeing. And I'm thinking, like, what is the appeal? Why are these so popular? You can't hide it. And don't worry, we're not going to call you out if, if you're like a loyal viewer. All right? God loves you too. You will be, you will be, re, you'll be redeemed. But why so much? What is it about reality shows that gets people hooked and engaged? And I think it's for a few reasons. I think the first two are pretty obvious. For escape and for entertainment. Absolutely. Escape and entertainment. I mean, it's... And really, it's just the new version of like maybe your parents, you grew up and they watched soap operas, right? Your mother watched soap operas maybe, or maybe read romance novels, or there's some kind of media, or, or listen, if you're old enough, then you know, your parents listen to radio dramas or something. And the idea is, is it's a form of escape and entertainment. It's a way to shut off your brain and just take in stuff. I could totally get that. But I think there's another piece that if we're totally honest, is part of this appeal, so, you know, I am your pastor, I am in the church, feel like I need to be honest. And that is, whenever I've come across a reality show and see characters uh, to be a little dysfunctional, I think to myself, wow, they're messed up. <laughs> and then I start thinking, wow, I'm not that messed up. Like, I got problems in my life. But those knuckleheads at the Jersey Shore, like, you know, whatever it is, like, I am not that messed up. And in a way, it's, it's kind of encouraging, right? You're like, well, if they can survive being a big dysfunctional mess, if this great thing could happen to them where they, they become popular and, 
and things happen for them. Maybe something can happen for me too. I want to take this idea. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. This will all be redeemed. Is I think there is a spiritual idea here that I want to pivot with. I'm going to take this idea and move it to a spiritual idea. And you're like, thank God. And the idea is, um, when we read the stories of Scripture, and we see stories of big, dysfunctional messes, something positive could happen in our spirit. We take that idea and we say, well, if God can use these big, dysfunctional messes, maybe God can even use me. Because I look at them and I'm like, well, I'm not that bad. (laughs) They're messed up. But then why haven't I turned my life around and become as faithful as they were? Why haven't I done the same thing? What's my excuse? And I think what happens is we could take this idea and move it into something really spiritually positive. When we see and interact with these other stories and understand that how does that affect our story and us moving forward? Well, this uh, story we're going to dive into today, we're going to dive into the family of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac's family is a big dysfunctional train wreck. It is a disaster in every way. Total disaster. So Isaac, he was the child of promise. He's the one that Abraham went through all that struggle to be born. And then even after he was born, he was tested in the whole thing where he has the knife and then the angel stops him and it's that Isaac. And Isaac had two boys. And anybody who's had two boys knows they fight from the womb. Right? I mean, they, they are at each other all the time. And this was probably the worst case of that. Jacob and Esau. It was so bad, in fact, that the family was divided. Isaac... He was all for the older son, Esau, because Esau was like, you know, he was the man. He was a strapping young lad. He was a hunter. He was kind of everything that Isaac wanted. And then there was Jacob, who was sort of like the sniveling little schemer. And mom loved Jacob. The thing is, Isaac didn't marry very well. He married a master manipulator. That's all I'm going to say about that. He married a master, thank you for the one laugh, a master manipulator. And what, what happened was there was something really spiritually unhealthy going on in this family. The reason, we get to the point in Isaac's life where he's towards the end of his life. And he's going to give his blessing to his eldest son. And this was a big deal. This was his way of saying that blessing that God gave to Abraham, that Abraham, my father, gave to me, I'm going to now give to Esau. And he's going to continue down the line. And they believed big time in this blessing. You would too. If you were barren and had kids. And were promised what God promised Abraham. But this was a big deal. Such a big deal in fact. It would have been given with the whole family present. They would have gathered everybody. And said this is the time. We're doing the big blessing. But what we see is Isaac is willing to do this in secret, which shows that there's some real spiritual problems in this family. This family is broken and dysfunctional, and the two sides are against each other. Again, this was like reality TV. 
This would have made a great one. Two brothers against each other. Tonight. On tonight's episode. I don't think anybody gets a rose, but that's a whole, uh, that's a whole different show. Now, Rebecca has this plan. So she's been eavesdropping on Isaac. And by the way, Isaac's not doing so well. He's getting to the end of his life. He can't see. He's losing his faculties. So not only does he have kind of a spiritual brokenness, but he's physically broken at this point. And Rebecca sees opportunity. So she goes to her son, Jacob, and says, hey, look, I got an idea. Let's pretend you're Esau and get dad to bless you instead. Now, Jacob, he says, um, yeah, no problem. Like, like he's, he has no moral problem with this. His only concern is, yeah, but Esau's hairy and I'm not. So, like, I don't know what to do. And Rebecca, his mom's like, no problem. Put some fake hair on you. Be great. And you're going to get this blessing from your dad. And that is where we jump into things. I find it fascinating that every time, uh, often in scripture, God is introduced as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People who are not perfect. But we don't think about that when we say it. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, even these dysfunctional screw-ups. All right, let's jump into our scripture today. This is uh, on, as the plan is unfolding. This is Genesis 27. We're going to start with verse 15. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. Well, that was the other thing. Give dad some good food. That always works. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. I find it interesting that he has like several opportunities to back out of this lie, Jacob, but he doubles down every time. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. Isaac then proceeds to bless Jacob. And what that meant was it's all the promises of God that have been given to our family. I now give to you. And you are going to be the one who is in charge of this family going forward. And this was seen as, as a blessing. You can't, there's no take backs. You give the blessing and the power of God has been released to the next generation. And, and you can't kind of fish that back in. So he gives the blessing. And Esau 
finds out what's happening. Verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Jacob uh, means he, he who grasped the heel, which was a Jewish idiom uh, for somebody who was a supplanter or somebody who tripped somebody up. He said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? That's even interesting in itself. I wonder... Was there a blessing that ought to have been reserved for Jacob? Since he thought it was Esau, he gave it all. He left nothing for the younger son. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. It's crazy because the plan seemed to work beautifully. Right? Jacob got blessed. That's just like we drew it up, Mom. But maybe it didn't go so beautifully. In fact, this single act was what completely ruined every single person in the family. What do I mean? Well, certainly Esau, he loses out on the blessing. Isaac accidentally gives all of his blessing to the wrong kid just before he dies. Jacob has to flee for his life because Esau is going to kill him. So Jacob actually, you would think like he just inherited all of this wealth and inheritance. No, he got none of it. He had to flee. And then Rebecca, as far as we know, that's the last time she gets to see Jacob the rest of her life because he is in hiding. Every single person suffered as a consequence of that sin. And isn't that the way sin works? Sin has all kinds of lofty promises. And it never turns out the way you think. Unfortunately, in my line of work, I get front row to a lot of the mistakes that folks make. One of the big life destroyers is the decision that people make to have affairs. I can tell you that 100% of the time, it never works out the way people think. And they'll be first in line to tell you that. Whatever I thought I was going to get ruined me. It ruined everything. And that's the way that sin works. And when I read Jacob's story, I think to myself about how sin can so deceive us from like, oh yeah, this is the perfect plan. And it all falls apart. There's this wonderful quote on the cost of sin from K. Arthur that says this, sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. 
And it will cost more than you ever expected to pay. And in fact, years go by and this family, Isaac's family, is just a mess. And they're, they're divided. They've, their lives have been ruined in many ways. Years go by, many years, and Jacob's, the blessing he received from the father happens. He becomes a wealthy man. But he's still broken by the sins of the past. And then God gives him an opportunity to meet his brother Esau again. And I've preached on this recently about this relationship. And, and they, they meet and Jacob's worried he's going to be killed. Esau's still going to want to kill him. And all those fears come apart when they give each other an embrace. And there's some healing and there's some restoration that happens. Which probably felt like that was impossible years and years before. But what I find interesting about this next part, and and we've talked about this where he wrestles right before he sees his brother. Let's read that part again. This is chapter 32, beginning, beginning with verse 22. That night, Jacob, remember this is many years later. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And you see, Israel means he who wrestles with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, this is a really confusing passage. There's a bunch of things going on. It's confusing to scholars, too. It's not just, right? A lot of ink has been spilled over this passage. Many PhDs have been made over writing about this passage. Who was he wrestling with? Why the wrestling? Was he wrestling with an angel, a man? Was he wrestling with God? If he was wrestling with God, how could he see God face to face? I thought nobody could see God face to face and live. Like there's all these questions. We don't need to worry about any of those right now. The part that I want to focus on is I find it really, really fascinating that it was all about the reason he wrestled was what? To receive a blessing. The last time He was willing to do whatever it took to receive a blessing, to trick his father. And it was the beginning of his ruin, or it actually was his ruin. And now he gets to a part where he is on the the cusp of reconciliation with his brother. And he wrestles this man so that he receives a blessing. I find that fascinating. That we have this story of Jacob that's sandwiched between two desires to have a blessing. I think there's a reason for that. So let's unpack this a little bit. Just a couple of points of how does Jacob's story now apply to our story? 
The first is that sin and brokenness and being a big dysfunctional mess does not disqualify you from serving God. Like just about every person we read about in scripture. Because guess what? There was only one who was born without sin and not us. But the thing is, we disqualify ourselves. We think God wants nothing to do with us. How can we possibly serve God when we're so messed up, when we have so many problems, when we made so many bad decisions? We, we had our Jacob and Isaac moment in our life, and we think, you know, if, if there's a buzzer to disqualify us, we just keep hitting it. Nope, I can't do it. Because, nope, nope, I can't possibly serve God. Because, nope. So I better, I might as well not even try. And here's the thing, sin and brokenness, it's a prerequisite to serving God, not a disqualification. Does God want to forgive that sin and help you get away from it? Absolutely. But it doesn't disqualify you. And the next thing is this, number two, God's strength comes from your greatest weakness. I would even say it this way, God's strength can come from your greatest strength. Here's what I mean. Each of you has been blessed with certain spiritual gifts. Gifts that they come easy to you. Things that you're naturally good at. But sometimes those gifts are so powerful that if you use them in the wrong way, it brings you ruin. You've heard people say, it's greatest strength. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's like with my kids. I'm like, if you would just use your powers for good, you could do great things. Use your powers for good. It'll be amazing when you do. Please, for the love of God, use your powers for good. We all have that. And sometimes our greatest strength is something that could bring us ruin if we use it in the wrong way. I think this was Jacob's story. What was his strength? Is that he would do anything to receive the blessing of God. He would go to any length to receive the blessing of God. And at first, when he used it in the wrong way, it led to his ruin. But then later, when he uses it in the right way, I feel like God's saying, you know, this man is going to do anything. And I'm going to bless him in this moment. He's willing to wrestle me to the ground all day and into the night. He's willing to do anything to receive my blessing. He's the kind of man that I need. To move the kingdom of God forward. He is the one. Because he's going to do anything. To seek the Lord's blessing. That's his greatest strength. Even when he got jammed up in the hip. It didn't stop him. No matter what. He was going to get that blessing. His greatest strength. Was also his greatest weakness. And the Lord uses it. And then the third thing is that healing is often on the other side of the wrestling. The other side of struggle. Why is that, do you think? I think it's because we are masters of trying to get rid of anything in our life that is discomfort, you know, has uncomfortable. We don't like discomfort. And sometimes those things that make us uncomfortable are the things that we have to face or they never go away. 
Jacob, in this moment before he meets his brother, he is at a point where he's got to face his past in order to move forward. And he had to wrestle with that. He had to wrestle with God. But then once he did, he was able to receive that blessing. God's healing is often on the other side of the struggle. Um, Farmers talk about this. They talk about this when it comes to uh, raising chickens. Is that uh, when the chicks hatch, some of them uh, struggle to get out of the shell. And the impulse is to help them out. To go in to help them finish hatching. But do you know that nearly 100% of the chicks that they help to hatch will die outside of the shell? For several reasons. One of those reasons is that as they're struggling through the shell, their heart is beating harder, pumping the blood harder and faster, and giving them the ability to regulate its body temperature when it gets, once it gets outside the shell. If it never goes through the struggle, it doesn't survive. I feel like that's the same thing with us. If we don't go through the struggle, we're not going to be healed. We're not going to get to that place where God wants to take us. We're not going to be able to thrive because it's the struggle that helps us to do it. I think that brings us to a landing place that maybe says, well, if God can do great things from dysfunction, maybe he could do great things with you. Maybe, just maybe. This is what we learn from the stories of those who came before us. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to lean into God more than you lean away. And if these folks can do it, if Jacob can be redeemed, maybe we need to ask ourselves, what's my excuse? God has put it on your heart to do something in your life. And many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say it. And most of those things we feel God pulling us remain unfulfilled. And some of you, you feel like he's been pulling you or speaking to you for a very long time. And we don't do it. Why? Because of fear. What if it doesn't work? What if I mess it up? And fear turns into excuses. When I just get done with this season of my life, which is so, so busy, then I'll do what you want, Lord. Yeah, anybody getting a non-busy season of their life yet? Or once I get through this thing that I'm dealing with, then I'll be able to move. Once I finally get to here, it doesn't happen. And I don't mean that as condemnation. I mean it as encouragement. Let's stop doing that. Let's wrestle with whatever we got to wrestle with here and now so that we can get the healing on the other side. So that we too, this broken, dysfunctional person, all of us, that we can be redeemed and do what God has called us to do without fear. That's all of our stories. And hopefully it's a story that shapes your faith.